Well, it's really great to be with you this morning and fantastic to see so many faces that I don't recognize. It's wonderful to see the faces I do as well, but um, brilliant to see all that God is doing amongst you and his life being worked out amongst you here in Hazelmere. This passage has become really important to me and um, it's known as the Annunciation um, in church kind of tradition. It's um, this story where the archangel Gabriel meets this young teenager, probably only 14 years old, Mary, and she's in the back of beyond in Nazareth, not very well known. She's from a very humble background, and yet it takes a lot of courage for her to say yes to this incredible call on her life. And so today I want to look at the process that was involved in Mary's yes, because it was a process. She didn't jump to that yes straight away. Now, forgive me if I'm stating the obvious um, as I start today, but you can't get pregnant by yourself. It's a little biology lesson here. It's called the Immaculate Conception, but actually this was a very messy conception. Um, it involved a, a, quite a sacrifice And God spoke, and Mary responded. And the first thing to underline today is that God spoke. He sent a message to Mary. And Mary didn't just jump out and do this off her own bat. She didn't think, I know, it would be a great idea to have a baby. Um, I just want a bit of attention here. She, She just acted in response to God's voice. And I find this a challenge I think in Britain and in the church in Britain, we can be full of good ideas. We're very conscious that we're entering post-Christendom, where the church in many ways is um, growing smaller in numbers. And we see what's happening in the global south and we think, what can we do to make it happen here? But the fact is, as Dave said, the most important thing we can do, actually, is pray. Because unless God speaks and unless God acts, nothing that's of any lasting value is going to happen. And Mary's response is to God's word. One of my most common prayers I find myself praying is, Lord, save me from my own good ideas. Because we can be full of good ideas, but actually it's God's word that bears seed that can bring fruit about. The prophet Isaiah writes, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I hear people say, oh, I hear God speaks to other people, but he never speaks to me. But the first place that God speaks is through his word, the Bible. And so I'd really encourage you, if you feel like, oh, God never gives me any words, start with the Bible. It's a great place to start. It's God's living word to us. And it's a conversation starter. It's, It's a conversation that God wants to continue having with us. And the Bible is dynamic. It acts in our lives. And what is the way it spoke to people a generation ago, even when I was growing up in this church, will be different to the way it speaks to you at this particular time in our nation. So start with the Bible. It's a conversation starter. But then expect and be hungry for that conversation to carry on. 
and for God's word to be live and dynamic in your life. And for this, we need to make space for God to speak. There's an old monastic saying, which I find really helpful during Advent, and it's vacare deum. Vacare deo. This basically means make God room. Make God room in your life. And very often, we can't hear God speak if we're full. We're not hungry. We're so satisfied with everything else that we're not really hungry for God's voice. Or we're so full of mental traffic in our head, especially leading up to Christmas, that we can't hear God's voice. Vacare Deo. John V. Taylor, who was Bishop of Winchester for many years, um, talked about how bad Christians are at making God room. He said, I have not heard recently of committee business at church being adjourned because those present are still awaiting the voice of God. I've known projects abandoned for lack of funds, but not for the lack of God's spirit at work amongst us. And that can be true. And so it's so important that we make space for God to speak. Sometimes the way we hear his voice is simply through a hunch. In the book of Acts, you hear this phrase, the apostles said, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It was a kind of hunch, but it was a hunch in community, in community with each other as the body of Christ and in community with the Holy Spirit. Roy Godwin, who's the leader of Falder Brennan, some of you may know the missional community in Pembrokeshire. Um, I did my placement when, when I was being um, training for ordination in Falder Brennan for just 10 days. And he had decided against accepting the position of leader at Falder Brennan. He'd failed in, his, um, in the work that he'd been in beforehand. He was feeling quite sorry for himself. And he accepted instead a consultancy position in the city because he needed the money and he wanted to get as far away, I think, from community of faith as possible. And during the training week in the city, he started to feel really uncomfortable. He felt that God is just not in this at all. Uh, but he'd already spent the money that the company had advanced him and he couldn't afford to pay them back. And so he felt stuck. And that night, he got a phone call from the trustees at Falderbrennan to say that despite having interviewed several candidates for the job, they really felt God was saying that he was the right person to lead this community. And he, they had a hunch about it. And so he obeyed their hunch. He said, yes, he resigned from his position. And God has been doing amazing things through his leadership at Falderbrennan ever since. Um, a couple of them, a leader prayed at the morning prayer before breakfast and suddenly an angel appeared in the room and the voice of God was heard. And she called the whole team together and they started seeing healing after healing and God cleansing the place. And this continued until midnight. The community in Pembrokeshire has been really blessed by the community of Falder Brennan, seen miraculous happenings, even with that, the farm animals that they have, God's blessing being poured out on that community. Children agreed to come on a church weekend, but they only agreed to come if it was a secret and none of their friends at school knew. 
But amazingly, God turned up at that meeting and suddenly they were filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. And when they got to school, they asked the head teacher if they could start meeting to pray for their school, to bless their school. So Father Brennan, they make space for God to speak, vacare deo. And sometimes that's very unremarkable, just meeting a small group of them three times a day just to pray, to listen to God. But it reminds us to be hungry to hear God, to ask God to stir in us a hunger for his voice. In Jeremiah, it says, call to me, God says, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I don't know about you, but this Advent, I'm hungry to hear God speak like this. And we believe that God has spoken through his son, the embodied word of God, the incarnate word. In the beginning, in John's gospel, it says, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the news that Gabriel brings Mary is that God is a promise keeper and that all the promises down through salvation history have reached their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And so we can at Advent just feast on the promises of God, all the promises that we read in the prophets that do reach their fulfillment in Jesus D.L. Moody once said, let a man feed for a month on the promises of God and he will not talk about how poor he is. And in Christ, we can say yes to life, life in all its fullness, life even in the face of death, eternal life, a life that cannot be taken away from us. The author, Jeanette Winterson, um, was adopted and she talks of being born twice once to her birth mother, and then again to her adoptive mother. And her adoptive mother was actually a charismatic Christian. And Jeanette Winterson found it quite strange that to hear this, this word born again, she wasn't sure what it meant for many years. And then she writes, suddenly I understood twice born was not just about being alive, but about choosing life. And when we're born again, we're all born naturally and we don't have a choice over that. But when we're born again, we choose life. We say yes to the life in Jesus Christ. In him was life, John says, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, I wonder if I could have the first, the second slide. So when we're young, time seems to go on and on and on forever. If you're in primary school, it feels like you're never going to get to secondary school. When you're in secondary school, you can't wait to reach the age that you're driving or having more independence. And time seems to go really slowly. I'm finding as you get to middle age, time seems to go faster and faster And it seems to gallop. I can't believe yesterday we put up our Christmas decorations and it felt like it was only only yesterday that I did this last year. In fact, I even found needles in exactly the place we put the Christmas tree last year. So without Christ, life is pretty meaningless. We've just had four people in in our church at Milmy die in the last week and a half. Four. And it's a huge reminder of the transience of life. And how fast life, time gallops by. 
Life without Jesus is nothing more than electricity in the brain and the pulse of blood. And when that stops, life stops, right? But life is so much more than that in Christ. In Christ, we do not need to fear death. We had a funeral for the first person in our, in our church who died on Friday. The incredible sense of life at work in her, through her family, that will continue long after her death. It was amazing time to give thanks to God. And so many people came up to us afterwards and said, this is so different from going to a funeral where people don't know Jesus. And it's true, you've experienced that, I know, for yourselves. Being born again in Christ is about saying yes to eternal life, and eternal life starts now. Life in all its fullness. John Henry Newman said, Fear not that thy life shall come to an end, but rather fear that it shall never have a beginning. And God's invitation this Christmas to us all is to say yes to that abundant life in Jesus our Saviour. And Mary is someone who models that yes to us. She says yes to this new life coming into her. She gives hospitality to Jesus in the most incredible way by bearing him as a baby in her womb. And I want to talk about four stages that I see Mary go through in this process of saying yes to God. And the first thing, if we could have the next slide, is that Mary was actually very troubled by the message that God brought. Mary probably had a fairly comfortable life mapped out ahead of her. She wasn't going to be rich, but she was going to be married, and that would allow a certain amount of um, comfort and security for her as a woman. And she was actually betrothed to Joseph, so it was a formal legal kind of contract that she had with him. And to disrupt that would be very costly to her. Imagine the questions running through her head. What will people think in my village? What will this cost? How will this end? You know, women could be stoned for adultery and being betrothed was as good as being married in the legal sense. And yet God comes in and he interrupts all her sort of security, all her plans that are laid out ahead of her. It's been said, if you want to know how to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. And I sometimes wonder if we are, many of us tell ourselves we're we're hearing from God, when funnily enough, it seems that God is just telling us exactly what we always thought in the first place and what makes us very comfortable. Karl Barth said, we often think we hear God's voice, but what we're really hearing is ourselves, but just speaking in a really loud voice. And often you find in the Bible that when the word of God comes to people, it disturbs them. It disturbs them. It's not necessarily a comforting message. And this call on Mary's life was not a comforting call. The, if we can go back a picture, uh, one of the slides. Thank you. This picture by um, David Mack, it's a, it's a picture of the birth of Christ. And it's set in the outskirts of Florence. And it's very messy. This is not the Immaculate Conception. Um, it's kind of in a slum area. It's a bit of a tip 
Um, Joseph's trying to rig up some sort of awning over the top. Uh, Mary's lying there in the middle. This is a very messy picture. And when Mary was a young girl dreaming of her future, I doubt it involved getting pregnant out of wedlock, giving birth in a stable, or seeing her son die on a cross. God disturbs very often. I wonder where God wants to interrupt us in our plans for the future, where we have a comfortable plan laid out. What might the Lord be asking us to do, even when we can't see where it might take us? The second stage that Mary passes through, if we could have the next PowerPoint, is she questions the messenger. She says, how will this be? And I find this really comforting. She doesn't jump straight to saying yes. P.T. Forsyth said, we too often pray thy will be done very near the beginning of our conversation with God, where, where we haven't actually brought our honest questions to God. We haven't wrestled with him in prayer. And actually, thy will be done for Jesus in Gethsemane comes at the end of his prayer to God the Father. We are allowed to ask questions in our faith. We can wrestle with God. When we think we hear him speak and we are disturbed by what he says, it's okay to ask, how can this be? And it, we know that God takes our questions seriously. What's interesting about this question, though, is that it's very different from Zechariah's question um, earlier in this chapter, where he basically asks, how can this be? He's told that he's going to have a baby. He and Elizabeth will have a baby, which will be John the Baptist eventually. And he knows that he's very old, and he says, how can this be? And he's struck dumb. But Mary asks the same question, but with a very different spirit. Theologians are agreed that Mary's question is less an incredulous one. It's not a question of disbelief. It's a question, it's a practical question. How can this be? In other words, by what means? And it's okay to ask these questions of God. God, I really want to know what you're talking about, but I just can't see how this is going to work out. Can you show me? My experience of God is that when we ask these questions, God is so gracious and he will so often enter into conversation with us. He may not tell us exactly what we were expecting to hear, but he is so good at confirming his word and um, showing us the next step. Very rarely will we see the final destination immediately, but he will take us on what's been called a lily pad faith, one lily pad at a time. Just jump to the next one, he says. And then when you get there, just jump to the next one. That's how he leads us. And I was recently ordained, as Dave said, and this has been quite a a long journey for me. Um, As a female at Millmead, we had uh, a constitution which didn't allow women in um, pastoral ministry. So over the years, I was offered work in hospitality. I was offered work with the children. But um, in terms of pastoral ministry, that wasn't an area that women could enter. And when I first felt the call to ministry, I, I asked God, how can this be? Because I practically couldn't see how it would be possible at Millmead. And in fact, I decided to circumnavigate 
Milmead completely. And to go into the Anglican Church, I went down that route of applying for ordination. And God very clearly said, you're just to stay at Milmead and pray. I couldn't see how it was going to work out, but God spoke clearly and he confirmed that word to me through others. And so I said, okay, Lord, I don't understand how this is going to work, but I'm just going to stay. And amazingly, over the years, and it was years, the leadership began to say, we really need to do something about the Constitution. We need to look at why women, we need to talk through with the whole church. We'd had a pastor in our church who'd written a book, Leadership is Male. There was a lot to talk about in our church. And over a period of a year, the, the leaders did talk through, how do you interpret these difficult passages in, in particularly Paul's writing about women? What is the whole salvation trajectory in the Bible? And what's, what, how can women get involved in this? And how can we release them in their gifting? And amazingly, things just changed. I didn't have to fight at all. I didn't have to raise my voice. God changed the landscape completely. And so sometimes we can ask these questions, how can this be? But at the end of the day, the answer won't necessarily be what we want to hear. It won't look perhaps as we imagine it to look. But the important thing in, in Gabriel's answer here is that the Holy Spirit will be at work. And this is what we saw at Milmi, the Holy Spirit at work changing people's understanding of scripture, changing people's hearts. And here it says, you will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Mary asks the practical question. She doesn't get a very practical answer, but she is reassured that the Holy Spirit will be in this and will be changing the landscape. The Alpha course, which you're starting next term, is deliberately designed to fail unless the Holy Spirit turns up in power. And I love that about Alpha. Every time we start one, I look at the group of people, such a mix of different ages and nationalities. I think, God, how are you going to do anything with this group? And every time we just finished one on Wednesday night, I am amazed by what God has done. We need to leave this God room, Vacare Deo, to allow the Holy Spirit to overshadow us in all our great plans. Even when we can't see how it's all going to work out, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to come in. At Millmead, we have been undertaking a, a really big building project, and it's gone on for eight long years. And we are now on the final phase um, and so we, we're out of the building at the moment. We're meeting in a school on Sunday mornings. And all the way through the phases, we've kind of been able to manage with our own resources. We've managed to pay off all the way through without it being a big struggle. But this final phase has been massive. So we're redoing all the auditorium. We're extending down towards the river. And... We, we were absolutely stretched to the limit in saying yes to this final phase. And then we heard the terrible news about a month ago that not only had the building costs gone up massively since the, pro the uh, builders started in the summer, but also there'd been a mistake with the lantern in the auditorium and actually the, there was another massive cost added to the building project. And suddenly, we didn't have our own resources for this. And so we kind of gulped, 
and we called the church together. We told them the honest truth about what had happened. And what was amazing was seeing how the church came together and prayed and started really asking the Holy Spirit to overshadow us and to come in. And we had word after word, prophetic words, pictures, scriptures coming in, all saying the same thing. Keep your eyes fixed on God. Don't look to the left or the right. Don't be afraid. God will provide. And amazingly, we had a gift day last Sunday, and all the money we need to, to carry on with this project until February has come in. And we, this is at Christmas time. It's incredible. So God is an amazing provider, and he welcomes our questions, but we need to make space for the Holy Spirit to overshadow us. The third stage, then, is um, Mary's submission. If we can have the next slide... Mary does get to a point, and we all need to get to a point where we say, okay, may it be as you have said. All the questions are exhausted, and she just says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, this kind of submission is not very cultural, uh, particularly at this present time. We're very used to sort of fighting for ourselves, standing up for our rights. Um, we're not very used to laying it all down and being submissive to God. And it takes courage to do this. The poet Denise Levitoff says, We are told of meek obedience. No one mentions courage. The engendering spirit did not enter Mary without consent. God waited. Isn't that amazing? to think God waited for Mary's yes. She was free to accept or to refuse choice integral to humanness. And then the poet goes on. Aren't there annunciations of one sort or another in most lives? Some unwillingly undertake great destinies, enact them in sullen pride, uncomprehending. More often, those moments when roads of light and storm open from darkness in a man or woman are turned away from in dread, in a wave of weakness, in despair, and with relief. Ordinary lives continue. God does not smite them. We do say no to God, you know. And the door closes, she says. The pathway vanishes. This was the moment no one speaks of when she could still refuse, a breath unbreathed, spirit suspended, waiting. Whatever God is calling you to do, however he's spoken to you recently, just be reassured God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He wants to partner with you. He sees it as an adventure. And when you say yes, you consent to his Holy Spirit being at work with you. Whether that's saying yes for the first time, committing your life to Christ, or yes to part of his kingdom building purposes, you have a choice. And all of heaven is waiting, listening for our yeses. And finally, last slide. Mary aligns herself with the promises of God. You know, it can be quite easy to say yes to God in the heat of the moment. It's far more difficult to walk out that yes in the day-to-day -day reality of our lives. 
particularly when we find ourselves coming up against obstacles. You know, take Abraham. No sooner had Abraham been given the promise of, of descendants and of land than that promise was contested back in Genesis. Abraham gets to the promised land and finds that actually it's occupied and there's a famine. And so he goes off to Egypt. Moses gave the prophecy that his people would inherit the promised land. He prophesied this to over a million people. None of them got into the promised land. Why? Because Moses got the prophecy wrong? No, because they failed to align themselves with the promises of God. We need to line up with God's word to us. We need to walk it out day in, day out. And Mary does this. She says yes to God in prayer, but then she she aligns herself with that promise. Nazareth would have been a very threatening town to to tell the news to, I imagine. And I find it really interesting that Mary goes off and travels to find her cousin, Elizabeth. She knows that Elizabeth is already pregnant. The angels told her that. And so she goes to find Elizabeth. And Heidi Baker, who starts, who started Iris Ministries in Mozambique, uh, which they work with outreach and education, relief and development. She says this, When God places a promise inside us, we have to decide to nurture it and to believe that it will be accomplished. Every word God has ever given me required me to be patient and tenacious in working it out. I've had to make choices and decisions that align with his promises. Saying yes to God is not something I can just do once and then forget about it. I have to live out that yes every day of my life. And Mary lives out that yes. She finds Elizabeth. And what Elizabeth does is so significant. As those two women are together, they praise God. Mary sings this song that's become known as the Magnificat. And if saying yes to the angel in prayer was was Mary's kind of yes, then this song of praise is Mary's Amen. Amen basically means so be it. And um, this, uh, this Amen keeps her yes alive. Mary's song is a, um, a triumphant yes in the face of questions, of doubts, of uncertainties. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then she recalls all the things that he's done. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers, lifted up the humble. In other words, her song is celebrating God as a promise keeper. But what's really interesting about this song is that she's celebrating him fulfilling his promises before he's even fulfilled his promises in Jesus. She's remembering that God's word has been fulfilled in the past, but will be more fully fulfilled through Jesus in the future. Tom Wright says, this is the gospel before the gospel. A fierce, bright shout of triumph, 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. And I find this such a challenge. When you feel the promise is contested, one of the things that slips first, if you're not careful, is praise. And yet praise is our battle cry. 
Praise is a way of saying amen to the promises of God. Praise is warfare. And at the end of the day, it is God who speaks. And it is God who makes it happen. But amazingly, he asks us to partner with him. And praising God, remembering the good things that he's done, particularly in Christ, is a way of lining up with the promises of God. So let's be hungry to hear from God this Christmas. Let's make God room for Kare Deum. Let's be prepared to be disturbed by God at times, to expect the unexpected. Let's bring our questions honestly before him. And let's be willing to submit. Make this our prayer. May it be to me as you have said.